Hello, welcome to React Roundup, the podcast where we keep you updated on all things React related. This show is sponsored by Raygun and produced by Top End Devs and Envoy. Top End Devs is where we create top end devs who get top end pay and recognition while working on interesting problems and making meaningful community contributions. And Envoy provides remote design and software development services on a task basis. So clients only pay when tasks are delivered and approved, which is the safest way to extend your design and software development teams. In today's episode, we will talk about the libraries we use in our general React projects. So which libraries do we commonly end up installing uh, in our projects? My name is Lucas Paganini, one of the hosts in the podcast, and joining me in today's episode is... Chris Fuen. Hi, everyone. And Peter Osa. Yeah, hi, everyone. All right, so let's get to it. Um, Chris, let's start with you. So what do you generally use in your React projects? It, of course, the main uh, question is with regards to libraries that you end up installing, but... It could be some other form of utilities too. Yeah, so I was taking a look here at one of my recent projects. Uh, and of course, I can't believe I forgot is uh, the top one would have to be Bootstrap. So I'm a big Bootstrap guy. I know uh, Tailwind is catching on. Uh, so there's that one. Um, otherwise, also, I guess like staples for me are of course, the React Redux library, and then the uh, the Redux toolkit. Um, so those probably I have probably in almost every project. And then along with Redux, there's a nice um, persist library. And basically what that does is handles uh, kind of keeping, you can configure what you want in your Redux store uh, to stay in local storage, for example, or, or different parts of your state. So. Um, those are a few. Um, I think as we go through the episode, maybe we can get into some more, some other stuff. Uh, I'm always on the hunt for uh, like charting libraries and, and things like that and other UI uh, libraries. So maybe we can get into that throughout the episode. Um, I, I actually have some questions about some of those libraries that you mentioned. So before <laughs> okay. we go to, to Peter, uh, you mentioned this, last library, which is to persist the state of your uh, reducers into local storage or probably index DB2, depending on the size of your state. Um, I'd like to know a bit more about this library because I think a lot of people, if it's like a very transparent addition on top of Redux, I think it could be beneficial to a lot of people because they they can get rid of that uh, initial load in which you don't have anything to show and you can at least show the stale data that you had from the previous session. So I wonder how much setup do you need to integrate that with React Redux? And yeah, just overall, how do you use that library? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's pretty, I mean, for just an initial configuration, I think it's 
pretty painless. You just have to add a few lines to like your wherever you're configuring your store. Um, and that's where, I mean, I think initially by default, you can just say, okay, store it all. Um, and that's, it's like two or three lines. It's all on there on the, the project's GitHub uh, on the, on the readme. Um, but then of course, typically it makes sense, you know, you're only persisting, I don't know, certain parts, certain branches of your state. Um, and I believe, if I'm not lying, I believe it also can work for uh, React Native, but I'm not sure. It's been a while since I worked on a React Native project. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's it's super nice uh, so that you don't have to write any of that uh, local storage logic yourself because that can always be kind of tricky or or you get stuff that keeps sticking around when you don't want it to and 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 so on so yeah um it's it's not too too hard um i, I guess is the my final answer it's, it's pretty easy to get started and again what's the name of the library uh redux persist so redux dash persist should oh, pop up oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know about it. I think I use it too. This, right? Have you used that one too, Peter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually use it for all my any, all my projects involving Redux. Yeah, it's kind of really good in the sense that it's you. I think you. I think you just need to add it to where you're creating your Redux store, and that should work out. Right, so it will just kind of persist every store you have to storage, so you don't need to worry about that first load whereby you have empty data or something. Yeah, mm. it's, it's really, really nice. I think it's simple enough. I dropped the NPM, NPM link on the on the chat here, so yeah, I, I sent it on the comment section too for anyone listening that wants to check out the link. Yeah. And Chris, what about other areas? So, for example, you mentioned stuff very related to state, but there's also testing. So, for example, I don't know if you use Jest or uh, Jasmine, Karma, whatever, for unit tests and for end-to-end tests. A lot of people are starting to Mm. divide themselves between Cypress and Playwright. So there are those other complementary areas too. And even in terms of your package manager, like do you use NPM, Yarn, Bun? So. Yeah, so uh, so I'm a, I do like Jest um, and I'm a Cypress guy as well. Uh, I, I, I really like the, the Cypress project. I think they do a really nice job. And you can even, I know it's like the, the priority or, or the, the main... I guess like the main thing you would use it for is end-to-end tests, but I've even written just because it's so nice to use. I've even written like integration tests, and they they have ways of, of doing that as well, um, like API tests. Um, and I'm also so this is a maybe it's an unpopular opinion. I am an npm guy through and through. I have always argued <laughs> against Yarn. I, I think I understood why there was Yarn like long ago because something. There was some like major, almost like a bug in NPM. I can't remember. It was so long ago. And and 
my issue is that Yarn kind of stuck around, be, I think, just because of that. And I don't know, I've, I've never seen, I've actually had issues when I tried to use Yarn and install stuff, like everything would break. So, but I'm, I'm very opinionated about that. So <laughs> I've always used NPM and never had a problem. Uh, it, it, for me, like, because NPM is the, uh, it, it just seems redundant, like there's an extra package uh, around a package manager. I don't know. You guys can, of course, totally go against me because I know there's huge fans of, of Yarn, but uh, that's, that's just me. So I think most people that I, I spoke to that are in favor of Yarn say that it is just more performant. Um, but honestly, I never felt that the performance differences between Yarn and NPM were enough for me to consider switching to it. It's like, it's going to take a while, no, no matter what you do, <laughs> because you're installing right, right. everything. So it, it could be faster if you just install the packages that you don't already have installed. But I don't even like to do that. I prefer to do a clean install when I'm just uh, pulling a, a branch that has updates in packages. And I don't want to just install the differences. I want to clean everything and reinstall. Mm. So I don't think Yarn would make much of a difference there. But... And by the way, I actually even think that if you're comparing, if you're deciding Yarn just because of the performance benefits, uh, I, I'm not sure about the benchmarks, but I believe PNPM would be even faster. So uh, if you just choose something based on marginal performance gains, then you're going to keep switching them all the time. But what I did... And it took me a while because I've always just used NPM, just like you, Chris. I've always been in favor of just NPM. There was no reason for me to explore the complexity of learning another package manager. And every time I tried to use others, I had bad, bad experiences. In some cases, I don't have a choice. It's just a project that I don't control. So, yeah. But what I am doing currently is using Bun only on CI and only on CI. Uh, first, because Bun, as far as I know, has not yet released a version compatible with Windows. So I can't encourage a team of developers to use it if the support is not there for everyone. But when we're running on CI, it's all Linux. So there's, there's nothing holding us from using Bun there. And you can use Bun just as a package manager, not as a node, uh, not as a full replacement for Node, because it can also execute JavaScript and TypeScript mm -hmm. code, but you can use it just to install the packages. And to me, that that actually made sense because the differences between installing with Bun versus npm are really major it's almost like two or three times faster uh, if you're like doing a clean stall if you already had some of the dependencies there it would be even faster but if you're just doing a clean stall it's still faster uh, so just because in ci i want to optimize things as much as possible because i hate the experience of a developer finishing their work sending it to to GitHub or something, and then uh, having to wait five minutes to get an answer, you know? So I always try to optimize CI as much as possible so that it runs in 
like uh, ideally up to three minutes, uh, but it should give you, it should cache as many things as possible to, to speed things up and only do the calculations that it needs to do. Uh, so yeah, for CI, I use BUN. For every other situation, I just use NPM. I agree with you. I think it doesn't make sense to me to use a different package manager. What about you, Peter? What do you think about this? Oh, sorry, Chris. Yeah, I, I just wanted to quickly know, because I, I, I haven't used BUN, but even on their website, they list like against NPM and Yarn and PN, PNPM. Yarn is the slowest. <laughs> so I don't know what happened, but yeah. And I just quickly wanted to mention, um, maybe before we move on, uh, I know that Yarn was maybe good in the sense because NPM saw what they did and they were like, oh man, we need to kind of like get our act together. And I, I think ever since like two or three years ago, they really focused on those install times and everything. And, but now I guess they, they're back to having Yarn beat. So so Peter, what do you think about this? Okay, well, I, on my project, I kind of alternate between PMPM and Yarn. Yeah, I use PMPM and Yarn alternatively because first of all, for Yarn, the idea of kind of packaging all the package, like compiling um, all the packages at first before installing them was kind of okay. Yeah, especially at the point where I had like bad reception. Usually when you're using NPM, you just install everything bit by bit and then you're having like maybe issues with network or something or white kind of breaks and then you have, yeah, get some kind of errors, it could call up some stuff. So yeah, I had to use them because of that first step, right? And not really because of um, it's faster, but it's just the installation was kind of much packaged and better. The PMPM was kind of, yes, the um, feature of kind of sharing, it doesn't like, it's node modules, right? It doesn't really like replicate dependencies. Like maybe you are installing dependencies and you have like two similar types. It's going to kind of put it under one umbrella and then use that, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think that was just what I did for the package management yeah, side. But then as alongside, aside that, I've used Bone for kind of personal projects. I've even written a lot about it as well for the React application I worked on. It was kind of okay, but like I think when I did that, then it was, I think that was like in zero point version zero point something, right? So it wasn't it wasn't up to version one. So I really yeah I've win, I've not really used it at version one at the moment though to see maybe if it's there's a lot of improvement, but. I use I kind of use it occasionally for just project, but predominantly I use Yarn on GMPM. So yeah. So that's interesting because we were just uh, talking about how we are in favor of NPM, and then uh, Peter starts with I either use Yarn or PNPM. Like he he never uses NPM, so it's nice, nice. I like this. <laughs> I like this. Um, uh, yeah, what the, is it the, called? Yeah, yeah the, diversity. That's a good point. I think I because, maybe, I mean, I yeah, good diversity, and I, I have no experience with the the other two with yarn or or bun or pnpm, but I yeah, that's if yarn. So yarn does cache like previous downloads. That could be. I mean, that could be nice because if you have like I know like when I'm on the train or whatever, like if I had to install, like I'm I'm toast. So. That's maybe a feature. Uh, I don't know if NPM 
I, I don't know. I just I don't have enough experience with all these with all these tools. Yeah. Uh, I think there was also a time where Yarn had workspaces and NPM didn't, right? So a lot of people started mm-hmm. using Yarn because of that feature, uh, the idea of having your repository be a conglomerate of packages that import each mm-hmm. other. So yeah, nowadays I believe uh, NPM already has workspaces. Got to be honest, I haven't used it for real because every time I wanted to have a monorepo, I just went straight to NX. I think it gives me a lot more power than just NPM workspaces. So never really used NPM workspaces in, in a production application. But yeah, I think that there was this, this point too. Um, I like to go back in one other thing that you said, Chris, and then we got to go into what Peter uses because now I'm curious. Like he, maybe he uses things that are super different from the ones that we are using. But uh, I want to go back to testing again and talk about Cypress and Playwright because I've been really interested in Playwright lately because. Don't get me wrong, I've always had great experiences with Cypress, except with their async await madness. Because they did that thing where they make asynchronous code look like it is synchronous so that it would be easier for people to get started. But, and, and yeah, this is cool at first. But as soon as you actually want to include other utilities in your spec files that are indeed asynchronous, everything goes to hell. And I have spent so much time trying to get an API client to work within Cypress, and it just, it's impossible. Like you have to use the Cypress APIs to make HTTP requests because otherwise uh, then everything goes out of order and by the time it it runs your code, it hasn't really waited for that promise to return and it's just really a nightmare. So I'm really happy that Playwright doesn't have that uh, and you just have regular async await. So I've been interested in learning more about it. Honestly, though, I don't know of many other features, of many other differences between Playwright and Cypress besides that. I suppose that it would also be more cost-effective for companies because Cypress is a company, right? At the end of the day, they have to pay their bills. And the only way that they have to do it is by monetizing Cypress itself, the tool. Mm -hmm. But Playwright is was created by Microsoft. And I don't think Microsoft gives it... You know, I don't think they care at all about making money with that. It's like, if they were to make money with that, it would be so ridiculously small compared to their other income sources that I think they just don't care. And that, to me, is appealing because... Um, I believe that we would be able to have a complete experience of the tool without needing to pay 
what we generally pay to have Cypress parallelization and video recordings and and things like that. So yeah, I'm still going through their docs to to see more, to understand more about their differences, but it's definitely something that I've been interested. So I wonder if you guys have studied a bit about playwright. Yeah, so I for one was not really used to playwright kind of. I think I'm more of like a Cypress guy. So I won't really just right. I think the one I kind of have worked on, I don't even know about puppets here. So it's also another type. So I think I've used that my ones. Well, I think Cypress is still, in my opinion, better. Although I can't really say because I haven't used to play right. So maybe I may have a choice or a change of mind when I kind of explore it. Yeah, I think I'm in the, the same position as, as both you guys. Um, I mean, I know Cyprus. I, the only reason I know of, of Playwright, actually, is I'm working on a Blazor app for work. And so I was naturally kind of led in the, the Microsoft path. And, oh, they have this end-to-end tool as well. But I would guess, I mean, as, like, as my experience with software goes, like, it's slightly newer than uh, sorry Cyprus. So my guess is, and it looks... I think like you said, Lucas, it looks like Cypress. <laughs> it looks like I'm reading Cypress code. So I would guess like if, if they've kind of fixed any of the weird quirks with Cypress, but have almost the same feature set, uh, you know, it would definitely, definitely for something for me to, to look into further. Um, but yeah, Peter also mentioned, I, I forgot Puppeteer as well. That's a great tool. And I even use that not just for testing, but you can do, you know, other stuff. Any any sort of automation or in screenshots and stuff too, um, so I guess I, I guess it depends though. Puppeteer sometimes feels like super, like lightweight, like in two or three lines you can do stuff. Whereas, yeah, with Cypress, of course, you're probably doing actual testing or something of that nature. So yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, nice, nice note. So, Peter, now is the time. <laughs> So now this is the time where you you say, yeah, guys, I don't use any of the things that you mentioned. I use those other hipster technologies. So yeah, tell us what is it that you use in your React projects? Okay. Yeah, for my React projects, first of all, I obviously Tailwind, yeah. So I'm a Tailwind guy, so yeah. I was before like for Booster, but yeah, Tailwind just caught me and took me away. So yeah. So yeah, first of all, Tailwind, my design system. Then yeah, if I want to actually kind of build um a design system like with Tailwind, I'll probably pick something like um maybe ant design or material UI, maybe for more functionality, right? Then um, if I decide, okay, I just want to build everything bare bone from scratch, I'll probably just use Tailwind then go with the SSS app, right? So then for state management, I kind of work with a lot, kind of. I use different types personally. First of all, for server states, I use React Query, right? For So if I want to handle server states, I use React Query. Most of the time, I probably will use React Query for most of my proof, like, Predominantly, I like my state manager because for most of my projects, I, I will need maybe calls to an endpoint, to an API. So that's server state. And um, React Query kind of does, does great in handling server states. 
right then. But then if I just want to add another layer of client state management, I go to either Redux, Zostand. I use Zostand as well too. I'm still a fan of Zostand. Well, and then there's still Jota. Jota is another one I actually use. I love Jota. It's so simplistic. Right? Jota just gives the feeling of you're using a very powerful state management tool, but then it looks like you state, like just like your regular React state, like an art, like just so simplistic. So that's why I love Jota. I like using Jota. I probably would recommend using Jota for maybe if you have something like a micro front end system, maybe where you kind of share states between different um, applications. You just using Jota is kind of very efficient mm. because it's easy to, it's just like, just like the boilerplate, the whole code pattern is just like you state, so simple, right? You don't need much um, boilerplate stuff to set up, not that, right? So I use that for like small projects, like projects that I know that, yeah, I could just work with that. Then Zostand as well too. I think I kind of still use Zostand for like React Native stuff so I work on. And then sometimes on React applications, then Redux is kind of like the go-to if I see, oh, this app is going to get very, very big and yeah, and based on also, like, I have this kind of partiality to Redux. It was, like, my first state management stuff. So, kind of have, like, this partial love for Redux, right? So, yeah, so apart from that, I see other packages as well, like, maybe things like um, date FNS for date time. I was using Moments before, mm-hmm. but Moment got deprecated. So, mm-hmm. um, I decided to, oh, oh, no, 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 I can't use that, so. There's date FNS, yeah, for dates. There's still also maybe things like um uh, Lodash once like if I'm if I'm going to use Lodash, kind of partially, but most of the time I just depend on maybe writing the, some utilities myself, kind of. But sometimes I could use Lodash for maybe if I if I see look at the scope of the project, it kind of requires a lot of manipulation, um kind of high computation that require me to manipulate our ways, do certain things. And I need to do them in quick time, right? So probably use Lodash for this. Then, yeah, um, I think that's just basically the foundation. The, like that's just the fundamental part. Any other package, I probably will, based on the need, um, maybe things like charts. If I'm working with analytics, I probably use like chart.js or shout out to Apex charts. Yeah. So I use Apex chart as well. And then after that, yeah, I think that's just technically though. For me, so what do you think? Like, do I um, is it weird or is it kind of strange? <laughs> I think you you're definitely the hipster among us. There were some <laughs> of the, some libraries that you mentioned that I don't even know how to write them. So definitely you you win you win the game. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, so I think that's technically there. Well, there's for testing, obviously, there's the gist, right? And there's the um, sideways. Yeah, well, apart from that, fundamentally, then probably if I if I want to go a step further, I could maybe um, use like, if I'm just being lazy, things like maybe some infinite school packages, although I, I could just write a hook for that. Then I think there was a day I became so lazy that I kind of, install the packages for like this you know um event propagation when you click outside of a menu and then you want that path to close like the menu you open a menu yeah so yeah i just became lazy one day i just installed the package for that so usually a hook will do that but i just 
decided to do that. So sometimes I could just be very lazy and I just decided to just pick some packages. But on a normal day, I would just probably write them myself. I would just copy them from like a code. Um, I have like a catalog of code I use kind of. So I'll just take it from there and we use it. Yeah. Yeah, like that. There's that React hook site. I also, exactly. I also like, I'm weird. I know I can just install the library, but I don't want the whole thing. So I just copy like the, the few hooks that I want. But I, I would be, I just added a bunch of stars to my GitHub. So <laughs> thanks for, for all those. But I, I'd love to hear more about this, the React query. So is that for like, does it like help you simplify API calls or, or like what, what is it? Okay, yeah, so for React Query, it's kind of very nice in the sense that for several states, right, you know, most of the time we have, we kind of work with API calls, right? So you see that the aspect of server state, storing the data for server state and then caching it, prefetching it when you need it, and so on and so forth, like mm-hmm. data involving endpoints, APIs, and so on. Yeah, so React Query kind of works with that very well. I like you technically, if if most for a kind of a, a very API heavy app, you may actually just not even use it, a client state manager like Redux or Jotai or Zostan. If you actually do it very well, kind of, we just use React Query. Just oh, fetching um, maybe for example an e-commerce app, you just use React Query to kind of cache the products they're going to fetch from an API, and then with the identifier you could get the that same data cast, like you, you could do a lot with the React query. So it's actually like for, I use it for server states, like that's why I call it server states. Anything depending on maybe getting data from an endpoint, I just use that for it. And then I go my own way. Then probably if there are certain things I need to store on the client, maybe I have like a very big JSON list of something that I don't mm-hmm. want to keep on fetching or the, like I don't want to keep on calling the endpoints as like constantly. I probably use a Redux like a client state for that and just store it. Then persist it to local storage so that, that I could just easily prefetch it when I need it. Mm. But yeah, um, I think React Query is kind of quite good. I feel something a lot of people will check it out. It's kind of going to minimize a lot of client state management you're going to work with. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I've probably been writing a lot of code like that. I could have been using this library the whole time. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Yeah, most of the time, like I said, you probably don't need a, like depending on how you write work with React Query, you probably won't need like a because for ex- like you won't need like a client state because you're working most times like you're working on an application that requires a lot of calls, like you you're dependent on data. You know, maybe you're not dependent on setting like data from an endpoint or so. It's server state, right? You could just work use React Query and work with that. And I think something that kind of looks similarly to how it works. I don't know if it worked with Apollo um, Cache or Apollo Cache. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, it gives that GraphQL kind of... GraphQL yeah, clients. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it kind of works similarly to GraphQL clients way, but I think it's kind of... I find it to be much better, kind of. Does it better and does it for like... You regularly could use it multi-purpose, kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's how it is, it is generally. It's kind of cool. I, I think it's something a lot of people should check out and check it out and just start using. Yeah, I think it's something that yeah, you can. I, I think I've worked with a lot of company where um, large code bases with that, and it's kind of easy to navigate because then you could always um, see your um, you casually know when okay, oh, this is server state, this is the 
they identify mm. just get your data with react query and they don't don't need to worry about so much yeah cool yeah lots of lots of interesting stuff so i'm not sure if mine are going to be as interesting but uh, I think some of the utility libraries that I use could be really interesting. So let me start with, with that. So one thing that I use, and it's definitely not common for people, is a lot of functional programming. Like I use a lot of functional programming. So for example, there's a library called FPTS which stands for Functional Programming TypeScript. So it's FP-TS. And it is huge. It exposes a lot of functional programming data structures, and they are all really well typed. And none of them are classes. So it's kind of like the movement that uh, RxJS had a while ago, where you, you have to pipe. And then you have a lot of functions that a lot of pure functions that you use to pipe your observables. So the same way, this library gives you a lot of of isolated pure functions that you can use to modify what's coming through. So you have, for example, either, which is a type safe structure for you to deal with success and failure scenarios. So you don't need to throw errors anymore. You can simply use an either, and that forces you to handle the error cases. There's no way for you to forget to handle errors because it's just not going to compile if you don't. Then you have task either, which is also used a lot, which is the asynchronous version of either. So it's basically either with promises, and it's it's lazy. So the promise is not executed eagerly. It's only executed... Uh, once you call it app, like you you pipe it through all the modifications that you want, and then afterwards, when you call it, that's when it actually triggers the request. So I really like this lazy aspect, this lazy execution aspect. There's a lot of interesting things if you go down that path of learning FPTS. Then there's another library which goes along with FPTS, which is IOTS, and that is basically uh, decoders. So it allows you to do data validation. So people generally use Joy or things like that. I much prefer IOTS because I think it's much easier to compose, to create your, your decoders and also uh, to make it extremely strict and extremely type safe. It also integrates directly with FPTS because they were created by the same person. So you're kind of like in the same universe. Then I also use Lodash a lot, specifically Lodash FP, which is the functional programming version of the Lodash utilities. The main difference is not like there are different functions for Lodash FP. It's still the same utilities that you have for Lodash, but you have some differences in how you write them. For example, they are all curried by default. And for those of you that may not know what currying is, is you, for example, if you have a function that takes two parameters, currying that function means transforming that into a function that takes one parameter and returns a function that takes another parameter and then returns a result. 
So the goal here is to have functions that are unary, which means that functions that only have one uh, input parameter. And why is that important? Because that way you can write point-free programming, which is basically, let's say that you're doing an array.map. If your function just takes one input, then you don't need to call your function inside the map. You just pass the function. So let's say that you have, for example, you have an array of strengths and you want to map that into an array of numbers. Uh, and then you have a function that is like um, two number, you know? So if this function takes only one argument, then you can just do array.map and within the parentheses, you write two number. You don't need to write a, an arrow function that takes the value and then passes it to the function. And it's really important that we use unary functions for that context because uh, if your function takes more than one argument, then you can find yourself in situations where you weren't expecting people to put it into an array.mat, for example, and then you're getting the index of the array as the second argument. <laughs> And then suddenly things are not behaving the way that you expect. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's that. And also when you're currying your functions, you make sure that the arguments that are going to change the least are always the first ones to be passed. So let's say that you want to sort um, something. So you have a function like sort by. The most common approach to write a, a sort by function is to write it in a way that the first parameter is the collection of things that you're going to sort, and the second parameter is the function that you call to compare the values. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're using functional programming, you would do the opposite. So the first thing that you would pass would be the function that compares, and the second mm -hmm. thing would be the collection that will be sorted. And the reason for that mm -hmm. is because most generally you... Um, the collection that will be sorted is going to change way more often than the function that sorts the collection. So by having the function that sorts the collection first, you can create a function that is like sort by name is equal to sort by, and then you give it the compare function. And this is going to give you back a function that takes a collection and re returns it sorted by name. So yeah, there's a lot of functional programming madness that I'm really into. Uh, Peter mentioned date, uh, date functions, date fns. I also use that. I prefer it uh, as opposed to um, moment, moment because yeah, yeah uh, especially because it, it uses functional programming. There's also uh, a time zone extension for date funds, which is date funds dash tz, which exposes mm -hmm. utilities to deal with time zone conversions. It's also very useful. I also use a library that I created. Uh, it's at Lucas Paganini-TS. And a while ago, like I think it's two years by now, I created an entire course for free on YouTube. So if anyone wants to watch, feel free, about TypeScript narrowing. So basically, it's uh, a course about how to tell TypeScript which types you're dealing with. So all of us have had a situation where you 
you had like a number or a string and you already did the necessary checks to make sure that that thing is a string. But TypeScript still thinks that it's a number. So mm-hmm. this would be narrowing. And I did like eight videos on that. And by the end, the last video, I built a library with all the utilities that I referenced throughout the previous videos. And this library is published on NPM under at Lucas Paganini dash TS. So I'm sending this in the comment section. It is not maintained, but it is stable. Like everything that I have here are just types. So there, there's nothing that is going to go into your actual runtime implementation. It's literally just types. So I, I don't think that anyone should feel at risk of using it. But honestly, it's just myself using it. I don't even like release, I haven't released new versions in a while, but yeah, it exposes a lot of interesting utilities for me. So for example, I have a utility that extracts all the values from an object. And I mean the types, for example, let's say that you have an object, which is a user and this user has a name, which is a string and an age, which is a number. So if you call object values, then it's going to give you string or number. So these are the types of the potential properties of uh, of this of this object. And there are a lot of really really weird stuff. Like I created an asynchronous type guard. So we have like type predicates when you have a, a function that returns a boolean and tells TypeScript if that that value is of that type. So I created an asynchronous version of that. So you can return a promise of a Boolean and that will tell TypeScript um, the correct type of this of that thing. So there are a lot of weird stuff in that library. So I, I use it a lot. I also use a library called expect type. And this is this is gonna be really interesting to a lot of folks. So basically, there are a lot of libraries to do testing, but I always felt that I needed something to test my type definitions. So for example, let's say that I have a function that if I give a particular input, I expect it to return something of a particular type. So if you give it a string, you should return an array of strings. But if you give it a number, you should return null or I don't know, something weird like that. So this library allows you to test the types of your code. It's really interesting. And the idea is just genius. It's basically, if your code is returning the wrong types, then uh, the library is, it's not gonna compile because uh, TypeScript will try to parse your, your spec files and the types are not gonna match with what this library is expecting. And then the types just fail. So it, it's genius the way that they, that they did this. And I think it's it's a really, really, really good library. I use it extensively because I do a lot of TypeScript madness. So this is the only thing that allows me to guarantee that the types of what I'm returning are still uh, what I expected. Other than that, I also use Jest and Cypress. As I was just mentioning, um, I might migrate to Playwright. I'm studying it. I use RxJS a lot, uh, not that much in React because within the React 
universe, RxJS is just not very necessary. There are other libraries that that do what RxJS does, but I do a lot of Angular code and also just Node.js, things like that. And in those scenarios, I use RxJS to have reactivity. And yeah, I think these are the most interesting things. I could like go on for three hours talking about the technologies that I generally use, but I think those are the most uh, generally useful for other folks. Yeah, I think we'll have to we'll have to save for another episode just the like front end because I I have a few UI uh, libraries I like, but we can we can do that in some other because we could probably go another hour. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. So much packages, and especially you're working with JavaScript, right? So many packages, so many. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So we're we're probably going to do a round two, um, maybe a few weeks or, or months from now to keep you guys updated. But in the meantime, I think this is enough for all of you to study for three months. It was a, a lot of a lot of stuff. So yeah, let's let's start wrapping things up. Uh, let's just do some quick uh, updates on things that we're working on. And yeah, so on my end, I'm just gonna uh, promote Unvoid. So basically um, Unvoid is the most risk-free way of extending your software and design teams. And the way it works is that their their entire business model was created so that it would address the main pain points that companies have when they are outsourcing design or software development services. So time zone incompatibilities, for example, this is dealt with. Uh, So Envoy is near sure. And it it has big overlap with the United States and even uh, the coast of Europe. Also, uh, contracts, for example, all the contracts on Envoy are based on the state in which the company is headquartered. And so you're in Tennessee, the contract is going to be governed by the laws of Tennessee. You're in California, it's governed by the laws of of California. So it gives you a lot of, of safety uh, in that sense, you feel uh, very secure. And there's also a two-week money-back guarantee for any reason. So if you hire Envoy and you're not satisfied with the quality of what their professionals delivered, you can just cancel uh, the contract within two weeks and you're not going to pay literally anything. And you can even keep uh, the work that was, delivery, that was delivered to you during that period. So it's literally... Anything that you have in your mind of a possible objection, like, I don't know if this is going to work because X, Y, and Z, uh, they probably have you covered. So if you're interested in that, check out unvoid.com is U-N-V-O-I-D.com. And yeah. So what about you, Peter? Yeah, so on my end, nothing more though, although I really just want to share the link to like some packages I talked about, like the state management Jotai, that I kind of talked about, really cool. I really, feel, I posted it on the chat, so I really feel it's something a lot of people can look and work with. Yeah, and then also, um, yeah, I 
also write for refined. So maybe um, I post some some days. I just write some articles for it on refined. But I I I don't know if many know about refined. It's more like a meta framework of React, right? That we try to um, automate and kind of reduce the hassle associated with just setting up and creating React applications. Right? So I will share my auto profile on the chat and probably something you can look at and check out. Yeah. So I think that's it for me. Cool. Yeah. yeah what um, about you, Chris? Yeah. Uh, also not much new. Uh, <laughs> I'll post as an alternative to my blog in case you don't like dark mode. Uh, I have medium. <laughs> I still don't have a dark mode on my blog, but I, I have like basically a clone uh, of everything. And again, that's just articles. Typically, they're driven by me encountering some problem and not being able to find the solution. And then I just convert whatever I whatever the solution I find is, I convert that to a blog post. So I've got all sorts of stuff, not just React, but but everything from Go. And even now I'm doing more Windows stuff. So Cool. All right. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to send you guys links on the comment section. So anyone that is interested in checking those libraries and also your content will be able to see it. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you're wondering what was the thing that Peter said? Uh, yeah, it's probably in the comment section. And if you're like, oh, I'd like to read more about what Chris is, is talking about, uh, then yep. It's also going to be in the comment section. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, audience, thank you so much for sticking with us. I know that sometimes we we end up getting really extended into our <laughs> conversation, but it's because we really have a lot of things to, to share with you guys. But yeah, hopefully this was valuable to you. Have an awesome week, and I'll see you in the next one.